I came as a refugee. Like other refugee, when you come, ask you to forget your background. Coming to America, I came here for a reason. Don't lose your culture and your mannerism. Because with us, respect is everything. Those were the voices of George Anand Kingsley and Josephine. Both George and Josephine immigrated from Africa. George from the Ivory Coast and Josephine from Ghana. Both Josephine and George are grateful for the opportunities that they found in the U.S., yet they are also critical. There are also many things about their native culture that they miss and feel that we could learn from. Hi, I'm John Vosey, executive producer of Words in Transit. Words in Transit is a project of New England Public Radio and is being offered in conjunction with the release of a book of the same name, published by the University of Massachusetts Press. Our goal was to bring the national conversation on immigration home to our community here in western Massachusetts and to present stories of individuals that have settled in the United States from around the world. We spoke with immigrants from Asia, Africa, the Middle East, Europe, and Latin America. Here's Tema Silk, the managing director of Words in Transit, to tell us more about Georges and Josephine. When he was living in the Ivory Coast, or Côte d'Ivoire, Georges Anand Kingsley was a successful artist and a university-level art teacher. He was also actively involved in politics. In 2011, during a period of political unrest in that country, Georges' life became endangered. He fled to Ghana on his own, feeling his wife and son would be safer apart from him. For two years, the Ghanaian government sheltered Georges, funding costly treatment for his grave kidney condition. It was a favor returned for one he'd paid them. When the money for his dialysis ran out, the Catholic clergy there helped Georges and his family come to the United States on a medical visa. At the time we interviewed Georges for this project, he was living in Hartford, both painting and teaching, and hoping to finally find a donor for a kidney transplant. He wishes more Americans understood and valued the traditions of his native country. Here's Georges. So I was working at university. I was having a good salary. I was having my own business, uh, interior decoration company. And uh, I was also engaged in politics in my country. Because of political problems that happened in my country after an election, there was a mess through the UN, uh, French government. There was a civil war in my country. And uh, I have to hide myself for two months. And when I came out, I was feeling weak, tired and everything. And when I was able to go to see a doctor, they found out that I was having a kidney failure. I couldn't stay in my country because uh, there was uh, people were in house arrests, people were targets, so I couldn't stay. My workshop was burned. I couldn't stay. My salary was frozen. So I needed to go out of the country to continue doing my dialysis. So I have to go to the next country, who is Ghana, and it's my country where I was born. And there I have the opportunity in the past of working with the French embassy as a diplomat for them. So I have some connection people that I know there. So I went back to Ghana to stay there. And I spent two years in Ghana. And it was not easy because many of the politicians went to there, Ghana also, but they couldn't have the statue of refugee because of some other considerations. It was hard because uh, most of them have to leave their family and everything. And I left my family 
Also, my wife and my child, I left them because I didn't want them to go with me. I didn't want know what I'm going to face. So I prefer letting my wife and my child stay back in Côte d'Ivoire, be with their family, safe somewhere, and uh, me going to the adventure. So I was in Ghana, and in Ghana, they denied me a medical care with my kidney failure because they say I have to pay. And the amount involved was so much. Each dialysis that you have to do there it was around $300 that you have to pay cash. Where am I going to take that money? And you have to pay for three months in advance. So it was not possible. I was just having $100 in my pocket. So it was a little bit hard. I stayed more than three months without doing my dialysis. By the help of God, I was able to meet a former ambassador that know me and that know what I've done for the Ghanaian government. When they did the 50 years anniversary, I did uh, all the history of 50 years of Ghana government in 17 art paintings. And I gave it to them as their anniversary gift. I was in Côte d'Ivoire when I did it to them. And when I was received at that time, it was in 2007. And I was received at that time by the Ghanaian president at his office in Ghana. And wanted to give me a check for that, and I refused. I said, I know that I'm an Ivorian, but I know also that a part of my blood is coming from Ghana, and I can't deny it. So it's my way of saying thank you to the government of Ghana, of the population of Ghana. So I don't want any money. So I refused the money that the government wanted to give me. So the government decided to reward me through UNESCO, and they did the documents. But the next government who came did not follow up, and it was somewhere there. So when I came back in 2011, five years after being sick, I met that ambassador, and he remembered that they did something. So he was able to go back to the document and see what they did. And from there, he sent my document to the French embassy to see how best they can help. And also another document to the new government. So I went to the French government's embassy, and they pushed UNESCO who are the headquarters in Paris. So they put UNESCO in Paris, and UNESCO say, yes, my name is on the list of the people who have to be rewarded in West Africa for what they have done in art. But really, uh, the next government did not follow up. So the embassy tried to push the people in Ghana. They did something on the TV on what I did. And the Minister of Culture in Ghana took my document, see UNCR. So the French embassy... UNHCR, UN, UNESCO, and the Ghanaian government all together did a meeting and decided to take me in charge for two years. They're paying my dialysis for two years. In Ghana, after three months without dialysis, I was in the way of dying when one day I have a call and they told me, we are now taking you in charge. I came as a refugee. <laughs> like other refugees, when you come, ask you to forget your background. You start everything like fresh. So when I came, I had to forget that I was teaching at the university. Who is going to employ me? And I have an health issue. But at the same time, I'm saying, I was saying that I'm an intellectual. You can't shout the mouth of an intellectual or the brain of an intellectual. It's not possible. So I make a strategy of how to come out. I start first thing, I say I have to make a collection of painting and sculpture so that I will do my exhibition. 
and I was able to do in six months, I was do, able to do an exhibition. It happened because I know that I have to support my family. So the first thing I did after a week, I went around seeing what the art schools are doing, see what is in the galleries. And from there, I start working. I start painting. I just came with one painting with me. But after six months, I was able to have around 36. People who are lazy want studio. You can paint in your room. This is what I did. I didn't have a job. So to get the money, I went out in the cold. I came in the spring, uh, in March, 7th March, 2013. On the 15th March, I was out with my sketch pad, sketching outside, sketching things, the buildings, the trees, whatever, sketching. And there I was able, people come in, oh, you're an artist, this is great. Can you have your number and things? They start giving the poetry to do and things. So I start getting money. They saw what that I was doing the sketch and everything. So people would stand there and I would do their portrait in five minutes, 10 minutes portrait and things. $2, $5, I start getting it. And I start, I say, okay, from there, I went to the um, downtown, the library, Alfred Public Library in downtown, because it's a cultural center for me. I went there to see the possibility they can do for artists and everything. And they found out I was good. So in uh, two months after, I did a workshop for kids with them. And they paid me a little bit of money. So all those things together, I was able to start paying my things and build my portfolio. Here in America, they will tell you, oh no, your diploma, we don't recognize your diploma. But in Africa, I was teaching artists. I was making them be artists. And some of them are running in the world, doing exhibition and everything. And when you come here, and they will tell you, no, that's, we don't know because you didn't go to school in America. It's frustrating. It's frustrating. So sometimes I say, I'm not happy being here because my value is not appreciated. I used to say to people, when you come to America, you can be a great person if you want. And you can be a lower person if you want. It all depends on you. Sometimes you have to forget a little bit of the past. But this past has to be your backbone to support you. Don't forget who you are. What you went through is the experience of your life. So this experience can be sold. You've been listening to Georges Annan Kingsley. Now we'll hear from Josephine. After having been separated for years from her parents, who came to the United States before her, Josephine finally was able to leave Ghana and come to America herself. As luck would have it, a month later, her parents moved back to their native country, and Josephine, enrolled in school as a young adult, was left to fend for herself in a new land. She's worked hard, and she's prospered, but there are certain aspects of American culture she'd rather her children not adopt. Here's Josephine. My parents were teachers, so, you know, obviously they came for a better life and also come and see if they can explore or see if their teaching skills, they can apply it here. They just told us one day that they were leaving, so it was kind of a surprise, and I didn't know how it was going to be without them, so it was very hard. 
I lived with my aunt, who was very nice. You know, she had six kids and three of us. And also we had house helps, too, that lived with us. So it was a lot of us. We grew up in a big family, and we had some cousins come here and there to visit, too. So we always had a big family all the time. In the beginning, it wasn't normal, but, you know, after a while, it just becomes normal because you you don't really have a choice, so you still don't have a parent. <laughs> the communication wasn't like now, you know. you If you are well-to-do, you have a telephone. You know, you have two or three telephones at home, but there wasn't really no cell phones. So, you know, we get calls to the house, but it wasn't frequent because... It was very expensive for her to call because even when I came to America, if you buy a $10 phone card, you would talk for nine minutes. That's like way years after she came. So you can imagine how much she was paying to just talk to us. My mom was a citizen, so um, she filed for all of us to come here to this country. I came here for school got my bachelor's degree, and also a few years later, I went to do my MBA. Even though I spoke English very well, but I had an accent, people asked, oh, wow, you have an accent. Where are you from? You know, it's like <laughs> you go to school, the professor is speaking, and they speak so quick, and you're trying to make notes, but before you make it, before you hear the word and make the notes, it's just too late because they are they already gone to the next, you know. So it was very tough for me. I had to stay up extra hours to study, and finally I decided to tape my courses because if I tape it, then I, I have to go home and listen to it so many times in order to really understand what they were trying to say so that I can get it because it wasn't easy. Ghana is like an English system in England, and I remember one teacher told me, if you write that English language here in America, I'm going to fail you. I remember that because I was writing good essays, but the spellings like, you know, labor, I would put you in it, color, I would put you in it. And she was really penalizing me for that. And it wasn't encouraging at all because she was always giving me, you can't make it in this country. With school too, I saw some kind of racism a little bit too, but I didn't care because I was ready to move on and get a better life. And my education was my goal. So when you live in Ghana or Africa, everything is totally opposite. You know, if you're born and bred in a different country and you're used to everything there, you know, we're not used to the snow and the cold and the this and the that. One thing I miss is that even in America, even when you're sleeping, you're thinking about how many hours you're sleeping because you have to go or you have something to do. But over there, for some reason, your mind is relaxed. You do stuff, you get stuff going, but your mind is very relaxed. And there's a lot of family members around you and kids can go to their neighbors and play. And when your kids are not home, you're not worried, oh my God, what happened? Because you don't have to worry about too much guns and too much this and that. When I came here, I, I don't see a lot of people outside. But in Ghana, you see, like after kids come back from school, you see them playing outside. They finish their homework, they're all playing. They run in, they're doing this and that. Every time I see Halloween, how kids go around, that's how Ghana is. Coming to America, I came here for a reason. Don't lose your culture and your mannerism because with us, respect is everything. So you don't lose it because I, I can't tell you how many people meet me and be like, oh, my God, you respect so much and, you know, you are well-mannered. And it's good because some people can change their behavior just because they've, they've been around you for a long time. So I think that's a very good thing that people should not lose. That was Josephine. 
Before Josephine, we heard from George Annan Kingsley. To see photographs of Josephine and George and to hear all of the Words in Transit interviews, visit our website at nepr.net, where you can also learn about upcoming Words in Transit events. You can also find information about all of NEPR's podcasts at nepr.net or on iTunes. Let us know what you think about Words in Transit. Review us on iTunes or send an email to radio at nepr.net. To see additional photographs and to read transcripts of all of our interviews, see the Words in Transit book, available from the University of Massachusetts Press. Proceeds from the sale of the book benefit the Words in Transit Immigrant Scholarship Fund at Holyoke Community College. On our final episode in this series of Words in Transit, we'll hear the stories of a woman from Slovenia and a man from Bhutan, both of whom draw upon their experience to assist other new immigrants. Listen, pay attention what immigrants bring in, and they do bring a lot. We were forgotten refugees from Bhutan, and we have no other hopes than to accept this country. And we want to invest in this country. We want to grow in this country. Whatever we do will be for this country. That's next time on Words in Transit. The managing director of Words in Transit is Temis Silk. The producer is Kathleen O'Keefe. And we had help in this podcast from Sara Redigieri. I'm John Vosey. Thank you for listening. Words in Transit is a production of New England Public Radio in collaboration with the Copeland Colloquium at Amherst College.